Good morning and welcome to the Church of Blue Ridge. My name is Ted. I'm one of the pastors here. I know we have a lot of guests and visitors with you with us today, so I just want to welcome you all. And uh, just give you a little uh, background as to what we're doing from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. We've been going through the book of Acts now since May, and uh, we are almost halfway through. And we're in a, uh, a mini-series called The A-Team, and uh, what that means is Team Antioch, essentially. We are looking at the first missionary journey of Paul as he's with Barnabas. And we've been there for a few weeks, and so the A-team refers to the church at Antioch. And I did that intentionally so that we don't forget that as we see Paul and Barnabas being used by God in so many ways, there's a local church holding the rope, making this incredible missionary trip possible, which is the same thing that we have today. So we're continuing in this series, and if you would, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 14, as we'll begin this Really, the middle, we're getting to the middle of the book of Acts. So Acts 14, we'll be going through verses 1 through 18. And the overarching theme of our study in Acts is be my witnesses, because that's really what it's all about. God saves us through Jesus Christ, and we become witnesses of his glory and his gospel message. And so we see, or we'll be looking at this continuing today in the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. And you'll notice on the title screen, the name of today's sermon is Gospel Adaptability. Gospel Adaptability. Last week, when Pastor Robert preached, as we were looking at the part of their journey in Antioch of Pisidia, that uh, he mentioned a great illustration about bridges. I don't know if you all remember that. How, and he used Falls Bridge in downtown Greenville as an example. How, depending upon the land that needs to be spanned in the river or whatever it might be is going to decide the type of bridge. And so in today's passage, we're going to be looking at that point he made more because that's exactly what we see in this passage. And if you look at the big idea up on the screen, it'll explain what today's sermon is all about. In today's passage, Luke will show us two ways in which Paul adapted his preaching to fit his immediate context. We'll see it with the expected And then we'll also see it with the unexpected. And that's where we will see Paul and Barnabas adapt the message to the local surroundings. And these change in circumstances that they they couldn't have expected that came upon them. And so we'll look at that here in a few moments. And just a reminder, the definition of adaptability is the quality of being able to adjust to new and unexpected circumstances. Circumstances, And so there's going to be some great application for us as a church as well. Because there'll be the expected conversations that are opportunities we have to share Christ. And then we're going to have to adjust. We're going to have to flex at times without losing or compromising the central theme of Jesus Christ. And so it's going to be a great sermon and a great passage for us to look at right where we are as a new church here in the Blue Ridge area. Now, before we go on, I want to remind you of some important things that we taught you the last two weeks. So my sermon two weeks ago, and then Pastor Robert's sermon last week. Because these are patterns that uh, we unearthed in our studies and shared with you the last two weeks. But you're going to see these patterns today and as we continue through the book of Acts. And we're not always going to point them out. So I'm reminding you of these patterns so that you can find them yourselves. Essentially, Robert and I don't want to do all the fishing for you all. We're glad to give you the fish we catch, but we want to teach you guys to catch fish as well and to find these patterns and these truths in the Word of God. So you'll see on the screen behind me uh, the first one, how to go. That was from two weeks ago. And we learned there that there's a pattern of how Paul and the other apostles did missions. 
First thing, they, they proclaim the gospel. And then immediately, the gospel is often met with opposition. And like we'll see again today, they persevere through the opposition. And then on the other side of that opposition is the gospel fruit. So that's the first one I wanted to remind you all of. So feel free to write these down. And the second one came from Robert's sermon last week, and that is just the reminder that as we're going out to do evangelism and to do mission, God is so faithful to provide the opportunity, the opportunity to share the gospel, to proclaim truth. He's faithful to provide us with the message. We had, in fact, last week's sermon, Luke gives us this detailed account of one of Paul's preaching, how he would preach the gospel in the synagogues. And so he gives us the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, And then just the reminder that God provides the results. He is the one that converts. He is the one that opens the eyes and brings lost people to faith in Jesus Christ. So there's a little bit of a toolbox for you as we continue to go through together. Now let's pray and we'll get to the text. Father, we come before you again this morning and thank you for this time that we have to study your word. And thank you for the time we've already had to worship you. And and really, this is a continuation of worship. And I pray, Father, that you would give me the words to say, use me as a tool in your hand to communicate well. But also, I pray that you help everyone else to listen well and seeing listen as an act of worship in and of itself. And that you, Holy Spirit, would teach us all, work in our hearts for your will, for your glory. And if there's someone here who doesn't know you, Lord, we pray that as the, the missionary stuff happening we're reading about happens right here in this room today, that you would lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. All right, so the first way uh, that we see them adapt is really with the expected. The expected. And we're going to see this in verses 1 through 7. So look with me at verse 1. We'll read through the text and make a few observations. Luke writes, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycania and the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now, the illustration I want to use in both of these sections, like with Robert in the bridge illustration, for me it's going to be be foundations. So think of a foundation for a home. Now, I'm from Florida. Many of you know that. And in Florida, there's really no thinking about what type of foundation you're going to use. It's going to be a slab. And the reason for that is Florida is almost completely flat. So all, every house I ever lived in or had been in my whole life in Florida was on a cement slab because it's flat. It's the expected. There's no wondering what type of foundation you might use, which, of course, is not the case here in Blue Ridge or in the Greenville area, which I will get to here in a few moments. And so as we look at this, we see Paul and Barnabas come into this, this new city of Iconium. Now, last week we saw them in Antioch. Uh, things started to get hot there. They got some opposition. And you might remember Robert showed us how they, they knocked the dust off their feet as a, as a statement against that town. And they headed 80 miles southeast on a Roman road that had been constructed to the town of Iconium. Now, 
Iconium was a, a big city then. It's actually still a big city today. It's, it's known as Konya, and it's the seventh largest town in the country of Turkey. And, it's, and so we see here in verse 1 that they come into the Jewish synagogue, which was the according to their custom. In fact, the word together should actually be translated as was their custom or as how they normally did things. They went into a synagogue. They appealed to the word of God because that foundation was already laid. So the law, the prophets, all that was already known, the expectation of the Messiah. There were both Jews and Gentiles in the synagogue. Remember, we had God-fearers and proselytes. So uh, they preach, and look what God does. It says a great number, a multitude of both Jews and Gentiles believed. And then right after that comes that opposition. The Jews who didn't believe, the unbelieving ones, stirring up and poisoning the minds of many people against the apostles. And so what you would expect to see, if you look down here at verse 3, is so like John Mark, they got scared and headed home. Is that what it says? They remained. They remained, even though uh, persecution was starting to begin with a kind of a propaganda campaign. They remained for a long time, and they continued speaking boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. And look what God does with this at the end of verse 3. It's a very important statement or theology here. As they're preaching the word of God, God bears witness to their word. He authenticates it with signs and wonders. And he's glorifying himself through them. Now, one of the hardest things that we face in life, whether it's in ministry or even in a job or in school, is when the going gets tough, remaining, persevering. And I I thought this week of, again, a great hero of church history to share with you. You'll see his, his mug up here on the screen behind me, and that is William Carey. William Carey, you've probably heard of. He's the first of the modern missionaries in 1792. He was a cobbler. He made shoes. But God put it on his heart that many around the world were, were dying without hearing of Jesus Christ. And so, long story short, he heads to India. He takes his family with him. And he persevered for seven long years before he ever saw one person come to faith in Jesus Christ. And in that time, his five-year-old son died. His wife literally lost her mind to where they had the confiner in a room. And the man who went with him, who was to be his partner, just like Robert and I came here to Blue Ridge together, he abandoned the mission soon into it. But after seven years, God began to bear fruit. And then, of course, like I said, he paved the way for so many other missionaries from the West to start seeing the need to go to Asia and other parts of the world to share the gospel. Men like David Livingston, Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, all followed in the footsteps of this brave soul who, when the going got tough, he persevered. He didn't run, and he kept preaching the word of God. And that's what Paul and Barnabas do here. But then, as you see in verse 4, because they stayed, because they continued to preach, there was a division. The city became polarized into two camps. We know something about a divided nation, don't we? We Seeing our country today become so polarized. And that's what happened here. There was such division. And I want to share a passage with you on the screen from 2 Corinthians. Paul gives us this. And it's interesting because he's in the story, and later he'll write this to the Corinthians. And we need to be reminded of this, that the word of God will divide. Look what this passage says. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. So the same message, the same gospel 
was saving some, and then it was making others hardened and an enemy of Paul. And that is so true of us as Christians. As we go and proclaim the, the gospel, to those who God is saving, our words are going to be sweet. But to those who are still in their sins, they're going to they're harden their heart. They're going to hate it, and they're going to fight against it. And we have to understand that. So when that happens, like these heroes in the scriptures, like William Carey, we'll persevere and not give up. And also not take it personal. So back to our text. Great ministry. But now the op- oppression has gone from propaganda to death threats. You'll see in verse 5, threats to stone and kill them. And so the time came for them to leave. There's a time to stay and there's a time to leave. But notice verse 7. It tells us that despite the fact they were going to leave, they continued to preach the gospel. So they're going to escape from Iconium, and he's going to, they're going to head 20 miles away to a town called Lystra, which we'll learn about here in a few moments. But before we do, I want to give us a few application points uh, as we look at them persevering and continuing to preach. And, and by the way, I was reminded as, as, we, went, as we just read this, I, was, I thought about in John's gospel, the way he shows Jesus, and maybe you'll remember this, maybe you've seen it in a movie, Jesus would often be preaching, and then he would be opposed by his enemies, and then they would, they would seek to kill him, and what happened? They, they would say Jesus kind of slipped out. He just slipped away because it wasn't his time yet. And that's what's happening with Paul and Barnabas. They were able to slip out to take the gospel somewhere else. So let's look at a couple application points. Just again, the reminder of perseverance, not quitting when the going gets tough. And it when I was, uh, as you guys know, I was in the military, and in boot camp, the very first week of boot camp, again, a shock, complete shock to your system, and, you know, your whole civilian life is over, you have no control anymore, so for the first week of boot camp, when we were being processed, me and a bunch of guys got together, and we tried to figure out any way we could escape. I'm serious. Even, like, jumping the fence, we looked at the map and wondered how we could get out. We thought about talking to the chaplain. Maybe he could get us out. You know, we were thinking of any way. And that was normal. A lot of guys were experiencing that. But then to see, had I somehow left boot camp, all the things that that I would have missed out on, all the fruit, even coming to faith in Christ in the military, much less the GI Bill and and just the maturity to, to do so much that God had for me in the future. And that's what happens to us when we quit. When it seems like there's a, a closed door, but we know God wants us to go in that direction, sometimes we don't necessarily leave. We just wait for God to open the door. We persevere because if we quit, who knows what fruit and opportunity we will miss out on. Also, we must understand, as we saw in the text, that the exclusive truth claims of the gospel both unite and divide. I know you've heard it said many times, that passage from Isaiah, that the Lord's word never returns void. And we usually apply that in terms of people being saved, right? But we forget, too, that God doesn't just use his word to save. He also uses his word to judge. He also uses his word to harden. And his word does both. It unites and divides. And so that's important for us to remember because we've got to have thick skin as we take the gospel to others. We, you know, we have to protect ourselves from getting our feelings hurt at times when we're rejected by loved ones, friends, or family members who speak the truth. Continue to persevere and understand it's not just you, it's God's word that does this. So very important for us. So we've seen the expected. We've seen the slab foundation in Florida. Now we're going to look at the unexpected when things change. And of course, for this, I'm now thinking more of a crawl space. When Jennifer and I moved here 10 years ago, we didn't know what a crawl space foundation was until 
our kids were running around the place we lived, and it sounded like it was going to fall in, all the noise. We were so used to a slab. And, of course, the crawl space is a great way to build houses when you have hills and sloping yards. You'll start in a different place everywhere along the crawl space, but they all come up to the level foundation. And so that's what I thought of and wanted to illustrate this with the unexpected. And One thing, though, that a slab foundation and a crawl space foundation have in common is although they'll start at different places, they always end up at the same level foundation where the house is built. And so for us as well, we might start in a different place with someone depending upon what they know or don't know about Christianity, but we always end at the same place, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's rejoin the text here and see uh, what our heroes do in this new town of Lystra. You'll see the map that we've been using the past couple weeks on the screen. So we were in Antioch last week. You'll see that up at the top of the screen. And so today we went about 80 miles to Iconium, and now they fled about 20 miles down to Lystra. Now, Lystra is in a different political region. Uh, It's not in the one that they were in, in in Pisidia. Now they're in Lycania. And so that may have been the reason they run, just to kind of escape that persecution, go to a different political uh, place. But this town has puzzled scholars because... It was really a backwater town. Iconium was a large city, but Lystra, not so much. The only thing that was there was a Roman military outpost. That was it. Other than that, we have probably the most tribal, illiterate, uh, superstitious group of Gentiles that Paul has encountered to this point. Why in the world would he go to such a backwater? They didn't even have a stop sign, much less a flashing light. In this place, it was so backwoods. But nonetheless, this is where they have come. And as we go through this, you'll notice there's something different. There's no synagogue. Everywhere they've been so far, they've been able to go to a synagogue where there was already a foundation of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. So now they're out open air preaching, in a sense, in the public square because there was no synagogue. So let's rejoin the text, text at verse 8 and continue. Now at Lystra, or Lystra, There was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well. So Paul said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycanian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus. And Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of the temple of Zeus, uh, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowd. So this would be the unexpected. Now, Luke wants us to to be reminded of a miracle just like this one that happened in Acts chapter 3 with Peter. You might remember it. It was at the gate beautiful in Jerusalem. Very similar wording, very similar miracle. He wants us to remember that because what happened there? In the Jewish world there in Jerusalem, when a miracle happened, they gathered together to listen because they knew something was up. The miracle meant God had something to say or or God was doing something special. They don't get the same reaction here because you don't have that same foundation. In fact, there was another foundation that Paul and Barnabas were not expecting. And this goes back 50 years to the Latin poet named Ovid. Ovid wrote a mythology uh, 
work, a narrative in this very region that had become very popular. It was called Metamorphosis. And in it, there was a story about how Zeus and his son Hermes decided to come down uh, from Mount uh, Olympian to, to this region of Turkey. And they went around looking like homeless men, and they knocked on a thousand doors. And all thousand doors they knocked on, they were turned away. Again, think Beauty and the Beast. And finally, they come to this couple named Philemon and Bicus, a man and a woman who were poor themselves, but they still had a home. They welcomed them in, and they fed them and everything else. And so, of course, then they revealed themselves as these deity, and they blessed this couple, turning their home into this giant temple where they were now made eternal and the eternal keepers of this temple. But then it says, Zeus and Hermes destroyed all thousand of those homes that rejected them with a flood. So that was, that was part of the superstitious belief of this place. And it, it made everyone afraid. If they ever come back, we don't want to get this one wrong, right? So they see these two come. They see this incredible miracle that was undeniable. But they don't have the same reaction as the Jews. They react in a different way, calling them Paul, uh, Paul Hermes because he was the one doing most of the speaking. And then Zeus tells us that Barnabas was probably a little bit older than Paul. So they are now thrust into the unexpected. And what I want you to see now as we finish, as we read the concluding part of today's passage is look at how God uses Paul to adjust, to, to make that flex, really, that adaptability of his messages. He realizes right away that same foundation we've gotten used to of the synagogues is gone. So let's continue reading and see what happens. And by the way, you'll notice Paul and Barnabas don't react right away because they were speaking in their native dialect. They didn't know what was happening. They're like, all right, what's going on? This is, this is weird. We're not used to this. But then when the priest shows up with cows to sacrifice and garlands to put on their neck, oh, we get it now. We're being worshipped as false gods. And look what they do right off the bat. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying, men, why are you doing these things? And this is the first of two responses that they make, two correct responses. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked in Acts 12, where King Herod Agrippa was worshipped as deity. This is what he should have done, and he didn't, and that's why God struck him. So first and foremost, they clear up any mistaken identity. We are not gods. They tear their garments, which is kind of the universal sign of, of protest against blasphemy, rush out and say, why are you doing these? Stop, stop what you're doing. So that's the first thing they do right And the second thing I want you to see, and this is really the most important part of today's passage, look how Paul adjusts his sharing of the gospel. He can't appeal to the word of God like he could in the synagogues. So he has to appeal to something else, which we're going to see, and that is the evidence for God in nature. Look at verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He has to appeal to something else, and that is the evidence for God in nature and in creation. If you look at this passage, again, another, another letter to the Corinthians where Paul writes and reminds them of the importance of becoming all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. Look at this passage. He says, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in this blessing. So he flexes his message and he adapts it and shares the gospel in a way that they would recognize the living God. And that was the point. Because he tells them, why do you do these vain things? Worshiping men, worshiping statues is completely vain and useless. And by the way, here's a homework assignment for you guys. Read Psalm 115. Read Isaiah chapter 44. Psalm 115 and Isaiah 44 are two passages that show what God thinks of idols and idolatry and these these vain religions. And then he turns them to really the theme of this mini-sermon. He said, you need to believe and turn to the living God, the God who's alive, the God who has made all these things, the God whose goodness you have experienced as he provides the rains and the, and the fruit and food for you to eat. And he shares that foundation. Look at this quote by John Stott as he explains what took place in this passage. He says this, The context within which he preached to the Jews in Antioch and Iconium was Old Testament scripture. It's history, prophecies, and law. But with the pagans in Lystra, he focused not on a scripture they did not know, but on the natural world around them, which they did know and could see. What an example we have here from Paul to learn our context and when it's necessary to adapt our message without compromise to where these people are and what they believe. Now, one thing we want to end here, look at verse 18, our final, our final verse here for today. It says, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. In this sermon, we don't see Jesus. We don't see salvation. Uh, it, it seems by verse 18 that Paul was cut off. He didn't get to finish his message. And so as we look at this passage, it almost seems like a complete waste of time, a complete failure. Have you been there? Have you ever been where you put so much effort and energy into something and yet there's no fruit? In fact, it seems the opposite of what you were hoping to do occurred. And we'll see next week as we pick up the account, it gets even worse for Paul and Barnabas. Um, but, you know, those are the times where faith is really tested, isn't it? God, scratching my head here. I thought you wanted me to come here and do this, and yet I think I've made things worse. And those are the moments we really have to trust that God is doing things we'll never know or understand and trust that he doesn't waste any of the efforts of his people and his church. It's also important why we need to have as our motive for all things the glory and fame of God. Not our own, not any other lesser motive, not any type of accomplishment. His glory and his fame. And he will not waste anything. Let's look at some ways that we can apply this as we uh, come to the, uh, the end of this time in God's word. First and foremost, it's important for us as Christians regardless of whether you're going to go into missions or into church work one day, but all Christians are called to be missionaries. So it's important for us to do some research, really, to prepare well. Think of the place where God's calling you. It could be where you work. It could be a regional area. It could be Blue Ridge. It's important for us to do the research and see and find out what some of the history is in that region. Uh, and we have no excuse. Again, Paul and Barnabas didn't have the Internet. They didn't have all the resources we do. But we can find anything we want to out about anything. 
So it's important for us to learn our context, find out the history, and learn what's going on so that we can prepare ourselves to adapt in ways, in, with uh, unforeseen circumstances like Paul and Barnabas do here as well. And so if we consider Blue Ridge, it's important to know that there has been a lot of legalistic Christianity here for years. I think it provides us a foundation, much like the synagogues, but there's also the need for grace in preaching the whole gospel of Jesus Christ and, and taking into account what has gone on before us. Also, you may not know this, but in Blue Ridge, we have a tight-knit Finnish community that lives here in this area. They came down from the Michigan regions to build houses. Most of them are in construction. They brought the religion with them. If you've seen the Apostolic Lutheran churches, those are their churches. And so they're like a subgroup that's completely different than most other people who have lived in Blue Ridge for any amount of time. So learning things like that will really help us when it comes to mission. The second thing I want to apply and show us, and you'll see this on the screen. This uh, I found uh, studying John Stott's commentary. And I love the phrase points of contact. In fact, I think I'm going to include that in our verbiage here at the Church of Blue Ridge when we think of mission. Points of contact. Sometimes if we think of evangelism or going to lead someone to Christ, it, become, it can become daunting for many of us. So let's back up a little bit and let's just think of points of contact. What are points of contact that we can make? And what are some, what are some things that we have to offer as a church that that lost people need as well. And so he points out five of them that I thought were very relevant still today. He says that this is what many lost people are looking for. And so if we think in terms of this and look for points of contact with people in our area who don't know the Lord, it might give us a good starting place to share the gospel. Again, think cross-based salvation or cross-based foundation, uh, making it adapt to uh, where people are. And so the first thing Many people are looking for authenticity. In a world where so many people are fake and phony, people are looking for authenticity, just people who are real and honest and transparent. And that goes a long way. A second thing is the universal quest for transcendent, for the transcendent. And what that means is this. Uh, God is imminent, right? He's above all things. He is so foreign to us, so far above us. But what makes the God of the Bible so special is he's also transcendent. He's a coming down kind of God. And many lost people are looking for something tangible, something they can believe in that's here, that that it's in their life as well. And that's our God. We have the real God. Jesus Christ is both imminent, but also he's transcendent. And so there's a need for that. Next, hunger for love and community. Community is one of our core values here at the Church of Blue Ridge. And we have that as a part of our mission with our missional community groups. And many lost people are looking for that type of community to come alongside, to be a part of something real. Also, search for freedom. I remember what it was like being a lost adult. And it is like you're in prison. Sin does that. It imprisons you. And people want freedom. They're searching for it. And then finally, longing for personal significance. If you think about it, all of the sin that we commit is attached to significance. It's when we lose sight of our significance being in Christ and Christ alone, and we try to put it in other things, and it causes us to do things that are sinful. Many lost people are looking for that personal significance, that real identity they can put some weight on and trust in. And so these are some points of context that I think can help us begin to have conversations and understand where lost people are coming from. So I wanted to share that with you today. But as we finish, I want to take you back to Lystra. And this is kind of the closing visualization to take with you and to think about. 
Again, Lystra seemed like a failure. It seemed like a waste of time. But if you continue reading and get to the second missionary journey, which we will in a few months, they go back through here. Paul now with Silas, when that, that missionary journey comes, who do they find in Lystra to take with them? Timothy. This is Timothy's hometown. It wasn't a waste after all, was it? We know how special and important Timothy is to Paul and to his ministry. We have two letters written to him in the New Testament. You never know what God's going to do with what might seem like a failure or a waste of time. That's how amazing our God is. He doesn't waste anything. And I'll leave you with this. Monday was my first day back after taking the previous week off to uh, work on our house and spend a little time with my wife. So you know how that Monday is after vacation, right? It's kind of hard to get back into it. So I'm driving the kids to school down in Cherrydale, realize I forgot my computer, forgot my briefcase. I had to drive all the way back home to get it. And then I needed to go to Greer, so I'm like, all right, I'll go uh, State Park Road or around the top part of Paris Mountain to get over there. Well, I missed the turn. Because in my mind, I was coming here. So now I'm heading to Tigerville Road. And there's a turnoff that I know can get me back to State Park Road near uh, Bilo and, and Little Caesars and Gateway uh, Elementary. And it was foggy that morning. You might remember Monday. It was very foggy. So I'm driving by Gateway Elementary. And there's a field just past it. All of a sudden, stepping out of the fog was a giant buck with like a 10-point rack. And I have never seen a buck in my life, except for like in a zoo or something. And it was so majestic. It was like time froze. I didn't even get my camera out. I wish I had. And it was amazing. And at that moment, I thought, I wasn't thinking about the laptop or the briefcase or the wrong turn. It was all worth it to see that beautiful part of God's creation. So just remember that when it comes to things that might seem a failure or a waste of time. God is always working. And as God gives wisdom, let's learn to adapt to the unexpected and still share the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and invite our, our worship team back up to continue to lead us in song and, and just end us in a time of prayer as well. But for our invitation, for those of you who are believers in Christ, I just invite you to continue worshiping God. Whatever you heard this morning as we looked at his word, just praise him for that and worship him as he leads. And if today you're here and you don't know where you're at with Christ, we want to have that conversation. We want to share the gospel with you. That's the most important conversation we can have today. So track one of us down. I'll be in the back. I'll be glad to talk to you, even while we're singing or even after the service. You come and find us, and we'll share with you. And if there's anything else we can do for you, come and find myself or Robert or one of the other leaders, and we'll be at your service. Let's pray. Father, we again come before you this morning, and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this great example as we continue to follow these guys on their, their first journey. We're learning so much about how you worked then, how you've worked since, and how you work now as you're continuing on this very same mission you began with the apostles and always inviting us to join you, Lord God. Whatever it is that's keeping us from joining you, whatever it is that's cluttering our lives and keeping us so busy, help us to make you and the mission of the gospel a priority. Let us be faithful, Lord. Let us be courageous. Let us persevere through whatever opposition it might be that you could use us for your glory to bring about fruit, both in our own lives and in the lives of others who need salvation in Christ Jesus. Lord, we praise you, we glorify you, and we ask that you continue to magnify yourself this morning in our presence. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.